Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello there, and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. This is our weekend edition, and on the weekend edition, we usually look at something cultural or historical, or in this case, we're going to devote the whole show to elections and the economy and things that really are associated with the election. And I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. We will get to the elections and topics on the elections in just a moment, but first let's have a break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. And Victor, we've got um, a very important election coming up. I think our last show we talked that you know, we have to win the election before we can decide how to deal with things. So everybody be prepared. And I thought maybe for the first topic, we would look at the polls. I know that, and and actually, I was reading in a Real Clear Politics article, and they said it more concisely that, um, that, well, they're announcing an initiative to improve the public trust and confidence in political polling. But that's just it. We, nobody trusts the polling anymore. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the nature of polling in the six months or so before the election. When we looked at those polls in 2016, it wasn't just the national poll that was kind of close at the end, that all of the major polls, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, Emerson, they all had Hillary Clinton up by three to five. There was some outliers inside Advantage, I think, and of course, Trafalgar that had it about even. But it was the states. They had all of those blue wall states that collapsed, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. They had Hillary up by anywhere from six to eight points. So they were kind of discredited. And then when it came around in 2020, then Biden, they did a little better, but they had, you know, Susan Collins down by what, eight, 10 points in Maine? When they looked at the Senate races, it was the same thing. 
I think they were confident that Biden was going to win because they had changed the voting laws in March and April of 2020. But the point was they didn't have a very good reputation. And mm -hmm. so now we're at gut check time for this reason, talking about the polls. There's a whole controversy, a whole corpus of thousands of articles written that the mainstream polls are biased. And there is a pushback from them that although we don't have as good record as, say, Robert Kahali, he's prejudiced or he was wrong too, but it's not in our interest to fool the public. And so this is going to be gut check time because if you look at these races, they're very, very close. And they all of a sudden, they've tightened. And I think you could say the polls are reflecting that tightening, but they're following. The Kahali poll and others who have warned about it for a long time that there is no blue wave or no blue resurgence. So it, it really introduces the point. It's really funny. What is it? What are they going to do? Are they going to go for short term advantage and keep saying that all of these Senate and gubernatorial races are, are, you know, in the bag for the Democrats and they're, they're going to hold the Senate and they're only going to lose, you know, less than the normal 30 seats. And therefore, they're going to depress Republican turnout and depress Republican fundraising efforts. Are they going to be intellectually honest and run transparent, exacting polls that show that it's dead even or if not a, a Republican advantage? That's going to be the thing that everybody's looking for, because right now, I think if you look at the real clear politics latest they even have i don't know i think even with those polls the gop's got i don't know 25 seats that they look like they're going to average gain that's pretty much par for the course of midterm but the most important thing is there's 35 to 40 in play yeah <clears throat> and what happens when you have these sudden shifts of opinion they don't fragment you could see that with a Trump. It wasn't that he won Wisconsin and lost Michigan and came close in Pennsylvania and squeaked by in Ohio. Once Ohio went and Iowa went and North Carolina went, and Pennsylvania went and Wisconsin, they all went because the same phenomenon was replicating itself, right? Like a, some kind of organism or an amoeba yeah. or a cell. And so what I'm getting at is these these cosmic issues am i safe am i safe in detroit am i safe in phoenix am i safe in milwaukee is gas too expensive in rural pennsylvania is it too expensive in atlanta all those issues once the electorate watches this they make up their opinion and Although they're individual and idiosyncratic, they have common themes. And once one state starts to show a pattern, it can be Xerox. And so I think that's why there's a good chance that the Republicans won't just end up with 220 seats, but maybe, I don't know, 250, 260, and that they won't end up 50-50. They could end up 53-47 and control the Senate. So yeah. I think that's... I'll go and stay out on a limb. I think that's more likely, even though there's going to be a lot of attention paid for, um, you know, election and ballots integrity this time because of the last elections. 
that's going to be a real issue. And that that's a wild card that you and I can't, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. No. We don't know. We don't know what, to what extent right now, as we talk, there's some left-wing activist on the phone with Zuckerberg or somebody and said, look, you guys helped us last time. So we need those drop boxes. We need you, these volunteers to go vote harvest and they're doing it. And we don't know to what degree true the vote is saying we we're on to those guys we're going to be at every see what i mean it's yeah it's a war of the shadows yeah yeah um what you just mentioned and what i think i i want to ask is about your how how you right now go about for yourself interpreting polls and it sounds like you look at what the polls say and then given that you know they tend to be slanted towards the left, that you will assume that they're undershooting any sort of Republican candidate. Is that how you do it now? Or is that, or are there good pollsters out there that we should look out for? Well, by and large, on clear-cut issues, when there's no controversy, and the races are separated by five to seven points, then all of these, the majority of the polls are more or less accurate because they it's easy to call and they don't think they need to be activists and intervene, right? Yeah. But when you have a controversial year and there's a lot of passions and the country is divided 50-50, then a lot of the people on the left feel that their polls will not just reflect public opinion and forecast what might happen when all the mail-in ballots and all the early balloting and on election day are tallied, but they feel that they have to be an agent, an agent, a catalyst for the progressive project. So they feel that they can add two or three points and maybe that will discourage 10,000 voters in Michigan saying, oh my God, we threw the book at them. We gave them a whole broadside and they're still ahead. Or yeah. some donor in Las Vegas says, I got a $5 million. I was going to pour it into Blake Masters, but the guy's ape down. I can't waste that money. That's their thinking. Yeah. And and the other thing is, and this is what Robert Kalhali, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, has tried to drive home. And I think he has a point is that when you hear that Bill Gates and this Davos mindset are trying to collect data on every single individual, or when you go on your computer or your iPad or iPhone and you've ordered something at Amazon and then all of a sudden stuff pops up from different companies, you know, yeah, advertising. Or when you're, say, you're traveling. I was in, how did, how did they know? I hadn't even turned on my phone. I was in a little town in Texas speaking and all of a sudden I got all these things about Texas that I should yeah. be seeing. So <laughs> when they have that surveillance capability, and they call you and say, hey, we just want to ask you 32 questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you say, sorry, not going to do it. But no. if you call them up and say, we're only going to ask you five questions. We don't care. We don't want your name. We don't care. We're not tabulating it. We're not tracing it. You might get a better response. And is that how he does? Yeah, yeah that... he does. He does. He's done that for a long time. In other words, his whole point, his whole edge, he thinks, is that he can count better than they do because he uses intangibles mm -hmm. and he gets a sense of the electorate and he understands how people are feeling that they don't want to come forward. So ask yourself this, 
no matter where you live, if you're for Biden, are you more apt to put a Biden sticker or a Trump sticker? I'll put it this way. If you're an Idahoan and you put a Trump sticker in that deep red Trump, are you going to have more problems in Sun Valley and Boise than if you're in red state Georgia or red state, I don't know, Maryland, and you put on a Biden? I, I, I think you are going to have more trouble. I think if you're a Trump sticker and you go into Sun Valley or Boise or people are going to react to it. And I think if you're a Biden supporter and you're driving around rural Maryland, nobody's going to care because the left is so much different than the right in ostracizing and demonizing. And so I think he understands that. So he's trying to say that the conservative Republican voter is a little bit shyer about revealing his true intentions on election day. And after all, Sammy, there is not a comparable vocabulary on the left to identify people on the left, I should say. Anything like deplorables, irredeemables, clingers, dregs, chumps, right? Yeah. I don't know that they call people that. You can say elites and stuff like that, but so... It's an asymmetrical, and he's trying to even it out. And so we'll see if he – it'll be very interesting to see if the Nate Silvers of the world or the Robert Kahalis are right in this election because in some of these individual state races, they're off – they disagree by a magnitude of 10. Yeah. Robert yeah. Kahali, he's, his, the name of his um, site or his company is Trafalgar. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay, okay let's make sure everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Victor, I would like to talk to you about um, some of the election or the debates and, and yes. elections, but let's take a break first and come right back and we'll talk about first the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock debate. We'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. So, Victor, I, I, well, I would just like to get your impression on how Herschel Walker did and Warnock did in the debate that they recently had. Yeah, well, the thing to remember about these debates, this is kind of a tired canard, Nobody except the diehard in-state residents, which matter because they're the voters, but nobody listens to these debates. But they do have access to YouTube and 
blogs and podcasts like this and TV shows and clips and Hannity and, you know, Rachel Maddow type things. So they pick and select individual excerpts. And then that's on the basis that people form the impression, number one. And number two is they have pre-selected ideas where the media will predict somebody's going to do badly or poorly and somebody's going to do much better. And if that projection or that assumption are reversed, it really helps the underdog candidate. So take Walker and Warnock. Everybody said that it was going to be it was going to be Cicero versus a legionary, right? That poor Walker would not be able to to stand his own. But when you look at the clips that were selected left and right, they were pretty good. And they were may have been even because, you know, when Warnick said kind of smart ass stuff like, well, you know, we have the doctor and we have the woman patient in the room. And the last thing we need is the government telling them whether, you know, about what her body can do or not. And he said, well, no, there's another person there. It's called the baby that things like that were a good line. And yeah. he had a lot of, he had a got a lot of good lines about Warnick that basically his one liners were that he, he can say whatever he wants eloquently as he thinks he is, but he's basically just voted for Joe Biden down the straight ticket on every issue, hundred percent. So if you like everything, vote for him and don't vote. And if you don't, that was a very cogent message. And that those sound bites, then, in addition, dispel the idea that that he was just wiped out. He didn't have to win. He just had to be kind of even. And then it kind of says people to people in Georgia, would you have a, have a so- sophisticated, smooth person, eloquent, who's voting for this disastrous agenda? Or would you rather have someone who's less articulate but has better common sense and knows inherently what's right and wrong? In other words, what I'm saying, Sammy, it was not an antithesis between would you rather have somebody who's articulate and suave and can talk versus a bumpkin that doesn't even know where he is? No. Well, in that case, latter case, you'd say, well, I'll go with a suave, articulate guy because the other guy's just a complete ignoramus. But he didn't he didn't come off that way. No. He came off as sort of at times a halting but sincere, genuine national and state icon. So he he benefited from that and he'll continue to benefit from those clips. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if how you think he's going to do, if you want to hazard a guess, I don't know if you want to hazard a guess. I think, he, I think he's going to squeak by. Yeah. Good. I think because he's the type of person when they get into the ballot booth, they being the swing voter in Georgia, they're going to say to themselves, I'm left wing. I'm independent, but my God, I can't walk out on the street at night. And this guy is for all of these Soros DAs. Or they're going to say to themselves, I want to go to Tennessee this weekend, but I can't afford gas. Or they're going to say, I I just don't think we can have this critical race stuff in our, our I don't want to get into it, transgender, all that. I can't think of the, I don't can't think this is going to be in our schools. I don't think it can be in our schools. Or they're going to think I just went to the market and I can't even afford a chuck steak, much rep, a ribeye, though that's out of the question. And who gave me all that? It was Biden. And who was for Biden? That guy. So that's going to affect four to five percent of the electorate. Yeah. Um, So can I then I ask you about Oz and Fetterman? How do you think that's going to pan out? Well, I mean, 
we know how that was supposed to pan out. It was supposed to be that Fetterman walked through the primary without really any opposition. And he had this cool look of the Mr. Hoodie. He was a nerd. Let me just start. He was a nerd. He was an overweight bumpkin nerd who grew up spoiled rotten by wealthy parents. And he never really had a job. And then he went out to a little tiny town. His dad gave him a bunch of money. And he tried to redevelop and rebrand himself. So he got the hoodie and he got the tattoos and he shaved his head and he got the smooth shaven goatee, right? Yeah. And he looks like a hood. And he's trying to rebrand himself as I am kind of just like you in the white working class of I'm a clinger. And then he got through all of this popular stuff about unions and all this. And then nobody paid any attention to the fact that he lets criminals out. He thinks that murderers should be out. He doesn't believe in incarceration. He believes it in abortion to the moment of birth. And so that didn't come out. And then Oz came off as a suited dandy with a funny name, Muslim, vicious primary, not a lot of money, kind of easily targeted and charactered as a New Jersey outsider, et cetera, et cetera. And he met some slips. But in the meantime, he had a stroke. And he hid his medical records. He still does. And he demands certain things that we've never seen before, like captions during a debate. So it slowed down the communications and the back and forth and kind of curtail the, the actual amount of space dedicated to a debate, time dedicated to a debate, and on top of the fact he, do, he won't debate any time else. So he's now given the picture that he has something to hide. Well, it might have been effective to say that a doctor should be more sensitive to somebody that is physically handicapped, but nobody forced him to run. And we have all of this long history of the Democratic Party saying, you know, John McCain, wink, no, doesn't know how many houses he has. He's senile. Remember that? Yeah. And, yeah. And we, you know, and Donald Trump, you know, the guy is just crazy. He's got to take the Montreal cognitive assessment and this Yale psychiatrist. They they were perfectly willing to to do that. So it's not mean, it's not unreasonable to have him bring forth his medical records. A lot of us are listening. There's people in this audience that have had A1 heart blocks, they've had AFib, they have all sorts of problems. They understand that having AFib is not a joke and having a massive stroke is not a joke that big growth on his neck he could just say this is because of a vascular something right he won't even do that and so what's the bottom line is that dr oz did a smart thing he didn't come off he learned not to come off as an elite and he went out and he traveled like a maniac and he thought to himself i'm in good health and he's not, and he can't cover the ground that I can. And I am more articulate than he is now and probably always was. So I'm going to talk, 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 and visit, visit, visit. So I think it's a toss-up, and I think Oz will squeak by. Yeah. And a final senatorial race. How about Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin? How do you see that? That's an easy one. That's not even – I was just in Wisconsin last week speaking – that's easy. Ron Johnson was hated by the left because he had an open mind on Dr. Fauci and alternative medicine and 
allowed people to come forward and say hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and alternative methods of care were not quackery. And why not try them? It was reasonable to do until double-blind studies came out. And then the cycle of the Biden narrative, places like Milwaukee, crime is out of control. I go there a lot. In addition to that, the whole Biden project is falling apart. So what I'm getting at, Sammy, is Mandela Barnes was the heartthrob of the left. They loved the name of Mandela. It was analogous to Barack. They thought it was exotic. And he was familiar to Wisconsin's, and then nobody really vetted him. And the more that Johnson vetted him, and the more that Johnson basically said, I don't give a blank about what the left says about me. I'm going to go after this guy on his what he said about criminal justice in the United States. And he turned out to be, he's a hardcore leftist. And that's yeah. coming out now. And the more that it comes out, and the more that Johnson just sticks to the issues, the more that the guy falls behind. So he's going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's turn then to governor elections. And I, I've been really curious. It, it seems like they're neck and neck, but I would expect Carrie Lake, who is the Republican, versus Katie Hobbs, who is the incumbent Democrat in Arizona. I Carrie Lake just seems by far the superior, but it's, I think they're neck and neck. But what are your impressions about that? I think, governor Carrie, I think Carrie Lake is ahead, but you got to remember when you say you're bewildered that an articulate, attractive, charismatic candidate who knows the issues from A to Z, like Carrie Lake, is not way ahead. You got to start on the premise that people in Arizona are bombarded with anti Carrie Lake media because all of these Republican candidates are being outspent from two to three to four times yeah. by their left, because this is not the america of reagan not even the america of george w bush this is the america of as i said 11 million 11 trillion dollars from san jose to san francisco alone this is the global wealth this is the era of a bill gates and a mark zuckerberg and warren buffett and lisa jobs this is a this is the greatest concentration of wealth in civilization's history, and it's all left-wing to speak of. And so that money is pouring into these candidates, and it's run by what? Sophisticated techies and advertising and Hollywood people. And they make very effective hit pieces. They understand messaging, and they're ruthless. So the fact that somebody like Carrie Lake is even even and I think will win that race is a testament to her superior abilities because they would have mowed down anybody else. I think everybody's got to start that. We all say this, oh, I'm so depressed. The country's falling apart. There is no border. There's outright racism in the, in the, on the left. Crime, we can be killed and nobody will care right in front of our home. Wow, Afghanistan was the greatest humiliation in our history. I can't afford meat. I can't afford gas. Why aren't people up in arms and saying this guy did it and voting them all out? Because they have money and they're not running on their record. Warnock not said, I voted with Joe Biden almost every key vote. They're not doing that. They're saying that they want to lower gas prices. They're, they've done all their way they can as inflation fighters. They're for a strong America. They want to get tough on it. That's what they're saying. 
when you put money and sophisticated ads, it makes it very difficult. And yet they're doing very well, the Republicans, because they've got really good candidates. Don't believe this. I want everybody to just stop and take a deep breath. Don't believe that J.D. Vance is a bad candidate. Believe that he has no political experience and he's running against a lifetime politician in Ohio and he's doing very well and he's going to win. Don't believe that Herschel Walker is a complete buffoon. He has no chance. He's authentic. He's going against the money and the eloquence and the system in Georgia, but I think he can win. And Blake Masters is a brilliant guy and don't think he can't win. But We've been conditioned by thinking. Part of it was Mitch McConnell, Sammy. He just sort of, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to go put any more money in Blake Masters. And, wow, it's just kind of like, you know, what we did in 2014. We, you know, we 2014, we had the big win in 2010. And then we thought we were going to, we had to, we had to wait till 2014 for the Senate. And that's when I got the good candidates. But in 2012, we blew it. We got all the crazy. That's what he's trying to tell everybody that the mega candidates are all inept. They're not, they're really smart people. And these Mexican American candidates along the Rio Grande Valley and in California, they're wonderful candidates and they're going to win. They're going to win. Great. So that then I have one more um, governor, gubernatorial election to ask you about, and that is Stacey Abrams versus Brian <laughs> Kemp. Anyway. What do you mean? She's already governor. How can she's running for re-election? Not- <laughs> but she's, they say, or I, I was reading, of course, it was a left-wing thing, but um, they said she's very clever about running a very strong race, and I forget exactly how they put it, but but I don't, I what do you see with that? She's there's no way is it going to be. She's a, a very cl- she's a very clever porno novelist too. So what? She's not gonna <laughs> she's not gonna win. Good. Has she ever won a statewide race? No. No. What does she what have is- behind her? She has the whole left wing and a lot of money. Yes, and why? Because she's articulate and she's left wing and she's from Georgia and she supposedly represents the new model how to flip a red state. And so she's going to lose. She's going to lose because people don't trust her because on the one hand, she's accusing everybody of insurrectionary election denial when before that even came up for two years, she toured the United States and was introduced as a real governor of Georgia, right? She lost by 50,000 votes. (laughs) And on the other hand, Kemp is a very sophisticated politician. He was a Trump supporter in MAGA. And then when the whole focus of the Electoral College for three or four weeks from play, from state to state when it focused on Georgia, he did not reject the electors, right? And so he earned the wrath of Donald Trump. But I'm not going to get into who was right or wrong, but he was very sophisticated because he basically endorsed both Loeffler and Purdue for Senate. And he kept telling everybody, it's not about me. I'm not up for re-election. It's about these Senate candidates. And if we lose them, we're sunk. And he was right. And so he came across as sober and judicious and trying to help the Republican Party. And whether it was fair or not, Trump was not out there campaigning 
and telling his base that their, their vote wouldn't count because it was all crooked. And the independent voter thought he was sour grapes. And meanwhile, these guys snuck through and won the elections. So my point is he's got a, a lot of support in Georgia. Yeah. And he, he's going to he's he's Kemp is a good candidate. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about whether you'd agree with him or not. I'm talking about whether he's a good candidate or not. And he's going to yeah. win. Yeah. She's she's going to lose. And then I don't know what's left for her to do. She's facing the same thing as Lynn Cheney. They have two choices. They can go out and become a consultant or a lawyer if they've got a law degree. I don't know. I can't remember. If, I don't think she does, but Cheney, I think, does. They can go out to Facebook or Apple and make $5 million a year, right, and just sit it out and become fabulously wealthy and then get on Face a Nation or Meet the Press once in a while. Or they can go to the MSNBC and NBC and get, a, at worst, a paid consultancy. By the way, Sammy, I'm not paid for Fox News. I've never taken a penny. I've never asked uh, for any money for Fox. But that's they, you can make a lot of money, and they can do that, or they can even get their own show. That's what they're angling for because their their future in politics is not existent. It does not exist for either one of them. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break um, for some messages and come back and talk a little bit about, I have a list of what the left says are Republican talking points that are lies. So we'll be right back for that. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We're back. And Victor, so I, I found on a reliable Republican publication, The Guardian, a man. Oh, wait, 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 Sam. <laughs> did I say Republican? I meant left. I meant no, left. No, I'm not. I'm not criticizing that. I'm when you said reliable, it's not reliable. They're reliably left wing. <laughs> they're unreliable and reliable left wing. Okay, they're, there we they're go. Like That's Pravda. Right. They're Pravda. They're the most left wing paper in Britain. And their Absolutely. American their American version is even worse than the British. Yeah. So the, let's well, continue. Yeah. So Robert Reich wrote an article about Robert Reich. Now we're going from the Guardian is reliable to thinking that Robert Reich is is, is sane. <laughs> so, so let's see the what the insanity. Robert Reich. Oh boy, what did he say? Okay. So the the lies that the Republicans are running on are this: crime is rising because Democrats are soft on crime, and True. he says. 
He says, though, that, well, okay, crime rates have gone up, but only but mostly in states with weak gun laws (laughs) and Democratic cities spend 38 percent more on police than Republican cities, such as is what he said. But I love that. Stop right there. This is an old left wing talking point. Okay, so what they do is they say in these rural and small town red states, right? They have one or two huge cities. So Arizona has Phoenix. Georgia has Atlanta. Tennessee has Knoxville, Nashville. Okay, New Mexico has Albuquerque. And you see what I'm getting at? Nevada. So what they do is they look at these big cities that are run by whom? Soros DAs, for the most part, and left-wing governors. Uh, Excuse me, mayors. That's what happens in Dallas. That's what happens in Houston. And they have exploding crime rates. And then they go around and say, look, these, these red states have just as much crime no, they don't. They have big cities have just as much crime. But if you look at the rural areas, that's not an exact comparison. What they should look at is what is the crime rate outside the big cities of America in red or blue states that are not controlled by big city mayors and big city DAs? And then you would see a radical difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second claim thing he says is a lie by Republicans is they claim that inflation is due to Biden's spending and wage increases. And he says it's due to, well, he says there's global inflation, so therefore it couldn't just be Biden and the corporations are actually doing it, raising prices. Okay. So let me get this now. So let's get this straight. Donald Trump took office in 2017 and January 21st, 20th, okay? And he left office in January 21st of 2021. During those four years, there was an aggregate inflation rate yearly per annum that ranged from about 1.6, I think, to 2.2, right? Yes. And it wasn't just COVID. There were periods well before COVID. And then Joe Biden took over, and now he's nearing his second year, and the inflation rate runs, depending on the month per annum, as adjusted to a year ago that month, somewhere between 8 and 9%. So what I'm trying to ask, Mr. Reich, is I'm supposed to believe that in four years of Donald Trump's regnum, that all the corporations were not greedy. They did not have a profit motive. (laughs) <laughs> and therefore, they, and then now all of a sudden, because of Joe Biden, they hate him. They're just gouging everybody when they're under 10 times more scrutiny, 10 times more media coverage. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. And I'm supposed to believe that the Donald Trump, was he physically so, uh, sober? No, but it's aggregate. And two things happened. Biden took a spendthrift George W. Bush double the deficit, a spendthrift Barack Obama double the deficit, a spendthrift Donald Trump double the deficit, and he's going to really, really double the 
deficit. So if you if you divide his years in office versus the amount of money we borrowed, it's a it's a record. Yeah. More importantly, he did this at a time of natural demand and supply shortages because we were a coming out of a lockdown for two years. People wanted to go out to eat. They wanted to buy things. They wanted to remodel their house. They were sick of sitting inside for two years and they wanted to go crazy. And they had money that was printed by Biden, especially. And more importantly, that destroyed the work ethic. So a lot of people said, why should I go work when I'm getting COVID relief checks? Or they said, why should I go work when I'm terrified of COVID? Or like me, they had long COVID. I don't think I could go out right now and get a job as a carpenter. I would, every time I try to do it, I sweat with a little fever. So there's a lot of people, there were a lot of reasons why it was a, an especially inopportune time to print money, encourage consumption, and discourage production. And yet he did all of that. And so he spiked inflation and he also spiked it because as the world was coming back and people worldwide were driving, that was the time not to keep the Trump production levels and Keystone at Trump le uh, era levels, but to even increase them further. And we had the capability of doing that. So instead of cutting between one and two million barrels of oil and more of natural gas, he could have gone on schedule and increased it by two million. We might have three or four million right now. So he did all of that. He did it deliberately. His only miscalculation, he's not mad about the price of gas. Remember that, everybody. Stephen Chu said it a long time ago. They left once European prices. What he's mad about is that you're mad about gas. You're mad about gas. He said that the other day in L.A. They said, down here, it's $7 a gallon. What are you going to do? You know what he said as he ate his ice cream cone? Ha, it's always expensive down here. What's new? He doesn't care. He only cares that his policies may not get his team reelected. And then these people are calling him up and they don't call him. He's in Delaware. They call Ron Klain and all of his lackeys up and they say, God damn it. What the hell are you doing? I'm going to lose my seat. You understand that? What am I going to do? I'm going to lose this Senate. I'm, I've been a House member for three terms. That's what he's mad about. Because yeah. it that we're mad that he did this to us, but he likes the idea of high prices because he's got this green orthodox religion that says that carbon fuels are satanic. Yeah. So here then is the third Republican talking point that's a lie, according to Rush. I think I've destroyed the first two. Everybody you did. Yeah, you should not listen to them. They're just a joke. And nobody but other than Robert Reich would even make that main attempt. And but go and go on. Yeah, and I, and I also want to tell everybody that Victor was not ready for these, so he's going off the top of no. his head on this. So, well, yeah, it's Robert Reich. In my defense, I mean, it's not anybody in the audience could do this because it's Robert Reich. He's insane. <laughs> okay, the last one from the insane man: the Democrats hired eighty-seven thousand IRS oh, agents no to go. Wait, wait, wait to go after the middle class. He says that's a lie. What do you say about that? He says they're going after the uber rich. That that's they're what they're really intended for. Three things, as I think of this, I'm formulating this third lie. Number one, the uber rich are left-wing people. The Democratic Party does not go after its own constituency, okay? The people who give it money 
they don't go after. It's not just the hyper, hyper rich. It's the upper bi-coastal professional elite that makes between 300,000 and 2 million. That's their bread and butter. Remember that. Who went after them? It was the Democrats. I said to Devin Nunes, my close friend, I said, Devin, if you guys in the House in 2017 pass a federal law that says that you cannot write off state and local taxes, right? And so a California that's got a 13% tax rate is really only a 7% tax rate for that particular group. You're going to lose all of the independence, but of course the left is going to go irate against you and raise a bunch of money. And he said to me, that may be true, but it's not fair. It's not fair for no tax states to bite the bullet and become physically responsible and frugal while all of these blue states like New York and Illinois and California spend for all these crazy ideas and then they want their privilege to write off that on their income taxes so that everybody pays for half of it. That was his argument. It was a very good argument. But the point of all that is the Democrats do not go after that selfish group of people. These are very liberal people. But remember one thing about very, very liberal people. If you're John Kerry, you move your yacht from one state to another not to pay taxes on it, okay? Property taxes. If you're Al Gore and you're a carbon fighter and you believe in high taxes, then you rush a sale to carbon spewing gutter so you can sell your bankrupt, failed cable TV station right before a change in the capital gains law so you pay less taxes. That's what the left-wing mind is. Their left-wing advocacy is a facade. It's a projection that deep down they care about themselves. So yeah. that's a long kind of windy explanation that A, they when they made those 87,000 new agents that are coming online, they basically have assured the very wealthy they're not going after them. And number two, if you look at where the money comes from, you won't get any money for these vast Biden projects that are so expensive and these multi-trillion dollar deficits by going after that class anyway. They don't have, there's not enough of them. Yeah. So in California, about Oh, 175,000 households pay half of the income tax and they're leaving. And California is come to Jesus moment because of that. So if you want to raise taxes and you want more money to social experiment, then you have to go after the middle class. And that's what they're going to do. That's what the 87,000. Number three, the Republicans put forth a proposal when this was being adjudicated that they would support it if they had a proviso that they would not go after anybody that less, I think it was $400,000. And who voted against that? The Democrats did. So what do I have to say? Yeah, exactly. He's insane. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they're going to, who are they going to go after? I can tell you who they're going to go after. I hope not, the people are listening don't belong to this group. Number one, when I drive along rural California, when I get on the freeway, I see one type of person. He's at a swap meet. He has a corner taco stand. He's selling clothes on the crossroads. He's driving around with a horn saying, buy this. He's a peddler. There's thousands of them. 
They don't pay sales or income tax, okay? He's going after them. Number two, when you're a small business person and you have total sales of three or 400,000 and maybe you're profiting at 60 or 70,000 in your small business and you buy a new leather chair for your office or you buy a Toyota pickup and you kind of use it to haul stuff around, but you also take it to the lake, right? And these people may write off, they're going to go after that person and they're going to, they hate them anyway. They're the self-important. They're going to go after, after, after that person. So that's who this thing is after. It's after the waitress at Denny's and maybe she's getting $10, $15 an hour and she's making $80 in tips and she only reports 20. They're going to go after her. Trust me. Yeah, that's what they're so going to too. unleash. And you can see why. They're going to do this because if they really wanted to help the middle class, all they'd have to, and they really wanted to save money, all they'd have to do is hire 87,000 more Border Patrol people, build the wall, and then we wouldn't have soaring multi-billion dollar entitlement costs to house, feed, subsidize 3 million new workers who wouldn't drive down wages of the American citizen worker. But they don't want to do that. So... They don't care about the middle class. If you just look at the effect of the policies right now, they're aimed at the middle class. They feel about the Biden and the left and AOC and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Forget what they say. Look at what they do. They're run by the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Lisa Jobses and the Bill Gates and the George Soroses. They hate the middle. They feel about the middle class the way the Robespierre brothers felt about the bourgeoisie. That's how who they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor, we're almost to the end, and I just had one more because I did say we were going to do something on the economy, and I've just been noticing that there are articles out that the that we're headed for a recession next year, and I thought we've already been in negative growth for two quarters now, aren't we already in the recession? But I was wondering your thoughts on the economy, and then we'll close this. Yeah, down. we're. Well, you're right to suggest they're Orwellian because if it was a Republican president and he tried what Biden was doing, they're saying he's Orwellian. He's trying to alter the traditional definition of a recessionary economy in which you have two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Of course, they say that that doesn't apply to them. But I have a feeling because we're, you know, we're we're at the end of September, right? We have a the end of the third quarter. And we're going to hear, it takes a while, but I think we're going to hear that there was neither zero growth or negative growth. Not that I trust bureaucrats to be always disinterested, yeah. but I don't think it's going to reflect well on the Biden administration. And then when you have a stagflationary economy, and the reason it's stagflationary is when you pay all of that money, so you're doubling the price of gas. So when Hector Mendoza fills up his pickup for $180 as he has to drive out to Kalinga for his sheetrock business. He's taking $80 a week out of that economy just on fuel alone that he's paying an increased cost. Some of it goes to oil workers and investment, but the most of the point, he's not buying things for his kids. He's not buying new shoes. He's not getting that doctor's, he's not contributing in a way that he otherwise would to the economy because he's strapped. He's straitjacketed by all of these inflationary pressures. So his consumption 
starts to go down. So when you get into this cycle of you, you know, hedge, you lose, tails, you know, you lose, that lose, lose, there's no way out. And we saw it with Carter. So to get rid of inflation, you have to raise interest rates and discourage consumption. When you raise interest rates and discourage consumption, then people pull back and then prices fall because not because of sound fiscal policy necessarily, but because you're in a recession. When you're in a recession and you want to get out of the recession, you have to pump the economy. But what's happened in this country is that all the tools that we need to get out of a recession have been exhausted. And there's basically just three of them. Number one, the Federal Reserve. They can give us cheap interest. But we've been in 2%, 3%, zero interest for 10 years, right? So we've acculturated people. It's not like suddenly we're going to have cheap interest. We've used it. It did That stimulation, that stimulation has shot its watt. Number two, you can borrow money. But we've already borrowed $31 trillion. We've had the greatest stimulatory effect of deficits in the history of civilization. Now we have to pay to service them at 6 or 7% pretty soon. And that's going to be a half a trillion dollars a year or more, right? Yep. So you can have interest rates or you can... Borrow money or... You can, or, or you can borrow money and you can stimulate it that way or you can increase uh you can have entitlement uh giveaways right you can okay. say yeah like we're doing in california we're giving everybody a thousand dollars okay so if they're filling up in a pickup for two hundred dollars and they get a hundred dollars a week so we're giving them 10 weeks of gas subsidy right that's going to be a one-time deal so you can expand not just deliberately deficits and not just deliberately uh, low interest, but you can subsidize people by giving. And what happens when you do that? When you start giving them money, then you lose incentives and people drop out of the workforce on this, on the idea that they can make more by not working. Yeah. yeah. So it, it looks pretty grim. So maybe I, it's very hard. To, the only thing you can do is you need a Ronald Reagan that comes in and gets some guy like, Paul Volcker? Yeah, Paul Volcker is a good example. You get a guy like Paul Volcker, and Carter brought him in first, and you just kind of point him at Frankenstein in the right direction and say, go to it, <laughs> and I'll take the flack. And then you keep calling him up every day and say, Paul, interest rates are 19% for a car, and that mortgages are 12%. He said, hold on, Ronnie, just hold on, hold on. <laughs> and you crush inflation. But to crush inflation, you have to do one thing at the same time. You've got to deregulate and cut the tax rate. And that's hard to do because it's counterintuitive. Because when you're running great deficits and you're stimulating uh, and you've been stimulating the economy and you need a balanced budget and all of a sudden you cut taxes and you're in an inflationary spiral and you try to encourage. Well, the point is you're not encouraging people to stay home and not do anything, and you're not encouraging them with funny money to go out and buy things, and you're not encouraging them with dirt cheap uh, interest rates to go borrow stuff, you're deregulating, and you're telling them that if you do this, we have a new tax code, or we have investment credits, or you're not going to have the EPA on your back. 
And Reagan did all of that. And so right before the 1984 election, about seven months before, six months, the economy in the last half of 84 grew by 7% and saved him. Had it not happened, he wouldn't have been president, reelected. There was times when you looked at when Mondale was a potential candidate in March of 1984, he was running almost neck and neck with Reagan. And so it's very hard to get out of a stagflationary where you have high inflation and a, I don't know what you call it, ossified production or ossified economy, recessionary economy. Because whatever you do to lower inflation lowers productivity in theory. Whatever you do to raise productivity or artificially raises inflation. So you need a genius to come in there and find particular targeted policies that will encourage economic growth without unnecessary discretionary spending, right? And you have to encourage supply, supply, and production. And then at the same time, you've got to find ways to uh, not just discourage inflation without a recession, but you've got to encourage this productivity to continue, but at a pace that doesn't increase inflation. That means you can't print money and you can't have these vast surpluses, uh, excuse me, deficits when the economy starts to rebound and economic economic activity returns. So it's like a fine-tuning an, an old automobile. And I don't think they know how to do it anymore. But I surely know that Joe Biden did the worst of both things. He took an already supply short hyper-demand economy, and he deliberately curtailed its energy supplies, and he deliberately went after businesses with higher taxes and higher more regulations, and he deliberately incentivized staying home from work, and so he did the worst of both worlds. He increased the amount of funny money floating in the economy, and especially to people in, through entitlements. And he made that money chase fewer goods because less was being produced. Lower productivity. Yeah, absolutely. And then we got this inflation. And Robert Reich and everybody can talk about greedy corporations all they want. But corporations didn't wake up and say, I hate Joe Biden. I'm going to be greedy this year. (laughs) No, they didn't. All right, Victor. On that note, we're at the end of our time. So why don't we go ahead and uh, close this down? Thank you. Thank you so much. This was um, actually a wonderful uh, weekend discussion about the elections. I hope everybody appreciated it. I hope so. I, I kind of sound stuffed up, but I hope I didn't disrupt with coughs or anything or it can be edited out. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right. Thank you very much. And okay. this, this is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off. Thank you all for listening once more. <laughs>